if I didn't think that small changes added up to big changes, I would never get out of bed in the morning. You have to practice what you preach. You have to take small steps and incremental change while at the same time seeing where you can contribute to larger, more transformative change. As you know, the larger transformative change may or may not happen. The small incremental stuff you're in charge of, you can make it happen. So you need to do both, I think. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Welcome to the second conversation with Tansi Whelan. We talked about wine, we talked about creating and changing habits, and we talked about eating bugs which happens when you talk to someone who worked with Rainforest Alliance and worked all around the world with different cultures. More specific to leadership in the environment, we also talk about dealing with people when you change, how to influence them, and perspectives that make these things worth, the belief systems that drive these things. I think you'll hear she had a lot of fun with this challenge. So let's listen. Hello and welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Tansi Whelan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Josh. And last time we spoke, uh, we spoke about a bunch of things. Two of the things were wine and uh, jobs. And jobs is not just a, a side thing with the environment. And I'd like to, if it's okay with you, I'd like to start with wine first. Okay. And I, want, I have a prediction. We have not spoken yet. And I like when people start with something that they like. And I think, and some people might say, wine, that's just like a fun thing. But I, through lots of interviews, have found that what's most important is doing, is doing something not the size of the thing or what the thing is. And if the person likes it, then they will find that they like it more and they'll do more. So not having spoken to you, is it something like that? <laughs> yes. No, it's been fun, actually. It's been a voyage. Uh-huh. So since we spoke, um, you know, my, my target was to drink and buy only sustainable or bi- biodynamic or organic wine, right? Mm-hmm. So the first time I had to go buy a bottle of wine, I was in a hurry. I had to find a place, and I found this sort of package-type store in Brooklyn and could not, went everywhere, could not find a bottle of sustainable wine. And I finally found this uh, sort of inadequate bottle of wine. Then I started to look around in other places in, uh, in Park Slope, where I live, and I found two wine shops that not only do they have sustainable organic wine, but they actually have, you know, stickers with what kind of sustainability it is. And so I was able to get a wonderful variety and they were all very knowledgeable about it. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was one thing. Then I I went to LA to visit my boyfriend and you would think in LA, there'd be like, it'd be all over this. Went to a huge liquor shop in Studio City and the only, I, again, I could only find one sustainable wine, which I got, which was kind of not great. But that was interesting to me because you'd think in LA. Yeah, it's even that. local. Right, exactly. So not happening. And then the other element is, um, you know, going into uh, restaurants and asking it for. So I have to admit, there was once or twice when I forgot <laughs> I was supposed to be doing that. So you're drinking it and you're thinking, 
Oh. <laughs> I forgot. But um, it was only once or twice in the beginning. And then after that, each time I've asked, do you have a sustainable or organic version? So most recently, just Monday night, I was eating at Il Buco here, just around the corner. And as this poor guy, I was asking him. So first, it was just the wine by glass. Uh, and he had to keep going back and talking to the wine guy about what was sustainable, what wasn't. And then finally he gave up and he sent the wine uh-huh. <laughs> over. The sommelier? Was, yeah, the sommelier, uh-huh. who was very knowledgeable and went through everything and, you know, was pointing out $200 bottles of wine. We're like, no, that's okay, really. <laughs> Not so much. We ended up with a lovely bottle of wine. But anyway, it, it was a very interesting conversation. He was talking and he was explaining why biodynamic differs from sustainable. Blah, 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 blah. And he, it educated the entire table because the rest of them hadn't paid any attention to this. So now it was sort of a conversation with everybody at the table. And were they annoyed or happy? or No, they were, they were interested. Because a lot of people are like, I don't want to make a tr- I don't want to make trouble and stuff like that. But now you got the sommelier over. Right. And you got, and now probably the other table's like, well, how can they get the treatment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was totally fine. And, and actually one of my colleagues there was like, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to need to, I'm going to go home and sort of research this biodynamic thing. Because biodynamic is when you, among other things, you bury a cow horn filled with manure under the uh, full moon. So he wanted to find <laughs> out why that was part of it. <laughs> That's new to me. <laughs> yeah. Cow horn, mm-hmm. like a, a bullhorn. A, a cow horn. It's supposed to have something to do with enrichment of the soil, something to do with honoring Demeter, the sort of Greek god or something. You know, anyway, I did not go look it up. Um, but uh, they also have other criteria that are around sort of the sustainability of the production as well. <laughs> now, there's a lot of things I want to follow up on. One is that, okay, when you were in Brooklyn looking around, were you, did you make special trips or was this when you went, you, you, you said you went to a couple different places. Was that because you're going out of your way or was it just you're going to some place, you're like, I got to pick some wine and it happened one time at one place, another time at another place. Was this taking you out of your way? So the first one, the first place I went, I just happened to be over there. It's not normally what I would be. And I thought, I'll go to this wine shop that I go to sometimes. And they were the ones who didn't really have what I needed. Then I remembered that there was another more like uh, what I would say kind of, um, hipster wine shop. And I thought they'll have it. And Uh so I went out of my way to go to that one. And indeed they did. Uh, and then the third one I went to is sort of closer to where I live. And, uh, that's the one I'm going to now because it's the easiest, but they also have a good, good selection. So now they're getting more business because they had more, a greater selection of organic or bio, bull, cowhorn, (laughs) poop, wine. Yep. Well, we didn't know about that yet. We had to go to California. back. So in California, you had, to go, you had a mediocre wine. Was it bad or was it? No, it was just not very interesting. It was fine. But yeah. I've certainly found that, yeah, a lot of times people say, hey, Josh, where do you want to go to eat if we're going to a restaurant? And they'll say, let's go to a vegetarian place or some. And I'm like, I don't like those places because they're usually it means that they sacrifice quality in order to give you this thing because there are a lot of single issue people. Have you found that to be the case? No, actually, um, I think in general, I mean, well, wine, you know, price point and how it's produced and everything is the same regardless of whether it's organic or sustainable or conventional, right? But I, what I do think is that the organic and biodynamic and sustainable actually, because it doesn't have the chemicals in the production, they have to take a lot more care, a lot more hand labor associated with it. You have less likely to get the headaches, right? So because you're not, there's no chemicals in it. So it's going to follow the same order. You know, you, might, you can have a crappily produced organic wine, just like you can have a crappily produced conventional wine. Mm-hmm. But when you get up to really good wines, the, I think the, and, or even just $15 bottles of wines, not like, you know, fancy bottles of wines, you get really nice taste, 
really nice product, and also there's no chemicals in it for you to sort of have a negative impact on you. Is that something you knew before, or is that something that's come out since last time? No, I knew that. I just, you know, didn't, I mean, sometimes I would buy, but I just didn't make a point of it, right? So now I'm making a point of it every single time. It makes me think of like years ago when I went vegetarian, it, was, it wasn't every single restaurant in Manhattan now has something vegetarian. It's been a long time since that. And now, now I think you're going to be on the forefront of this, or is this, is this kind of growing? I, I, I don't even know the status of, of biodynamic wines or organic sustainable wines. They are growing. I mean, for example, the in this country, there's a lot of focus in Oregon and uh, California on developing um, wines that are sustainable. Not necessarily 100% organic, but with far fewer chemicals because they're just saying that it makes better sense for them, mm-hmm. sort of environmentally, but also financially. So I, I think it's a, it's a growing area and also growing demand for it from people. So to those listening, looking for something to do, be on, be on the forefront of leadership in the environment. So we talked about what you did. What about how you felt about it? What was the, were you having fun? Was it taking on a challenge? Was it annoying? Was it, uh, how did it feel? Um, so in the restaurants, I, it made me a little bit nervous to sort of have to be a pick, one of those picky, like, you know, yuppie people who are asking doing for that. The, what? Right. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it's, it's just a tiny thing. I got over that pretty quickly. And actually I found everybody to be you know, very accommodating. And they, either they knew or they went and found out. And always, actually, every single time, there was a choice that, that met my requirements. So that was awesome. So I don't feel nervous about it anymore. And um, in terms of going and looking for the stores, it's just irritating at times when you don't have any choices. There's a store and there's nothing there that gives you a good choice. But living in Brooklyn, there are certainly plenty of shops with choices and or in Manhattan or anywhere else. So I think if you're living in certain parts of the country, it might be more irritating than it is for me, trying to find find a decent wine. They might have to go with organic beer. Yes. <laughs> uh, which I feel like is more commonly available. Yeah. So the, talk about other people. Oftentimes, the biggest challenges that people face with these, they finish, the, like, they finish my first conversation and they say, oh, I'm going to take on this challenge or I'm going to do this thing with my values. And then other people. You know, they're like, I can do this. And then someone's like, just get the wine. Or I don't know what, or you're at the restaurant and now you got the sommelier over and people at the table are like, what's going on over here? Were other people a problem? Were they helpful? Was it, how did they factor in? Was that something that was an issue? You know, I think they were all, uh, what would the right word be? Um, They know me as someone who's, you know, an active environmentalist. So I don't think, I, so I think they were accommodating because they know this is part of who I am and they just sort of accepted it. But as I said, I think one of them really paid attention and said, oh, this is interesting. Let me think about this more. So what I hope is, and you know, I didn't lecture them about they all should be doing this, but hopefully it made them pay attention and maybe they'll think about that for their own wine choices in the future. But I didn't find any, I have not found any negative sort of brushback, pushback. Yeah, that's certainly been the case. Although when people, before they start, they think that's going to be a big deal or they don't think about it at all. And it could be something. The other thing is traveling. So you also traveled in this period, although, well, it's funny. You went to a place where you'd expect it to be easier. It wasn't easier, although maybe that's just because you don't live there as often, as much as you do here. Uh, was travel an issue? Did you not, were you not able to drink on the flight? Um, <laughs> I did not drink on the flight. Um, and I made up my mind, you know, if they don't have it, I'm not going to drink. So, which is good. I mean, that's like, fine. That's fewer calories. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's a positive, not a negative. 
I can't remember. I feel I feel like I forgot now where were the times that I forgot, but I have a feeling that it was when I was traveling somewhere and I just wasn't thinking about it. Like not to LA, which is where I'm more used to going or to or New York, but I might have been traveling on business and just had a glass of wine and just completely forgot I was supposed to be doing that. And how did you feel about that? That's actually another big thing that people, yeah. it's like how you handle, it's very rare that someone says, uh, you know, today I start flossing and then for the rest of their life, they never miss flossing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes people say, I messed it up. I, oh, this is just too hard. I can't do it. And then they give up. But it doesn't sound like that happened with you. How did you handle the, when you were like halfway through a bottle, like, oops. Yeah. You know, I just sort of said, oh, oops, I didn't, I still finished the wine. <laughs> um, it wasn't a bottle, but I finished the glass. Um, How am I going to explain this to Josh and his audience? <laughs> So I'm not going to waste the wine. That would not be sustainable. It'd be wasteful. Uh, no, I didn't justify it. I just finished it. But um, but then I just made a mental note. Uh, like the second, the first time I was like, oh, that's not good. And then when it happened the second, because it happened twice, I think. So I was like, okay, this is not going to happen anymore. It's now in my head. And it, it hasn't. I mean, it's sort of in my head. And I feel like I'm, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. So, I mean, you know, yeah. So, okay, so when, if you're saying thank you to me, thank you, you're welcome. I'll, I'll pass it to the audience for being the public accountability element uh-huh. of it. Uh, but this is what, this is, people say like, oh, you have so much discipline to be able to do these things. I think the transition may take some discipline. But once the transition happens, it's like not very hard. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, in my experience, these things, it's, it's not so hard to maintain once you have the mindset. For me, I haven't made the shift as you have, but I would imagine something like I don't drink the chemical wine. Right. I drink the non-chemical wine right. and then it's not so hard. It's like, it's like, I don't know, some places eat bugs. It's not hard for me not to eat bugs. It's really easy. <laughs> Is it like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, you eat and bugs? No, <laughs> I have eaten bugs when, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, when I worked for the Rainforest Alliance, the slugs and uh, grasshoppers and ants and all kinds of exciting things. Mm. <laughs> Note before we finish, get story on the bug eating. <laughs> Let's go back to a wine, though. Um, so uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted. What was the question? Well, is it hard? Is it the trend? I believe the transition is a challenge. Not always, but sometimes the trend. Even if the transition is a challenge, the once you've made the mindset shift is how people have characterized it. Then it's not a challenge. It's like brushing your teeth. Yeah, it's like yeah, it takes time, it takes effort. I do it. No, I, I, I think it's going to be pretty easy moving forward. As I said, I feel, first of all, wine is, it's not something that you have to imbibe or <laughs> shouldn't imbibe every day, every minute. Uh, secondly, I live in a place where I have access. And uh, third, it's something that now that I'm socialized into, I can regularly think about. So I think, you know, what I'd like to think about in the future is, you know, how do I, without proselytizing, you know, begin to get other people to think about their wine too. The natural thought of a leader is, oh, this is improving my, my, my read. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Oh, this improved my life. This isn't hard. Why would I not help others do it too? Right. And last time we talked a lot about sales. And well, I guess we put the label sales on it, but it was about uh, influencing others and going where they are. Have you, have you made any headway on that? No, I haven't really gone there yet. Um, I think the way to do it is when I have parties, you know, I'll have that kind of wine. I'll sort of tell people, hey, what do you think of the wine? I'll tell them a little story about it. You know, just very light, Mm -hmm. right? With family, like my brother really is into wine. I'll talk to him about like, hey, let's try this. I'll buy him some so that he'll get, you know, like that kind of soft way of doing things. Mm -hmm. But I, I, you know, there's more important things that I need to focus on to like get people to do. So I'm not going to, you know, make a career out of it. That's not your battle. Right, right, right. 
Although, yeah, you could said soft way. Although what I heard was experiential mm-hmm. and taste, it, it, experiential. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. That's so much more effective than, Yeah. I think of like logic, rhetoric. I'm like they never talked about like try before you buy. Uh, right. Aristotle never said that. Right. <laughs> it really works, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Exactly right. And who turns down wine? Yeah, not my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now I want to, I do want to talk about jobs. I, I know that that was something that you gave a year something like a year time scale and it wasn't the high priority. Uh, before we get to that, can we talk bugs? I'm really <laughs> rainforest Alliance means I'm, I'm picturing you in some place outside the United States mm-hmm. and is someone like try this or. Mm-hmm. Well, so my uh, least favorite bug eating was in the Ecuadorian Amazon with native tribe and they have this white slug quite large. Uh, I don't know how many, how big is that? It's like, uh, that, that's how big it is. Okay, um, so to the listeners, she's holding her hands up, making a circle with her thumbs and forefingers of, I don't know, two inches diameter? Yeah. Okay. That's a big slug. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they, they do, they, um, they uh, barbecue it and put a lot of salt, salt and oil on it. <laughs> is it a delicacy there or is it like, yeah. weird for them too? Yes, yeah, it's a delicacy. Okay. So fortunately, I didn't see what it looks like before it was barbecued. So I ate it and it was sort of, it was not, it wasn't something I would eat again, but it was, it was mainly, I mainly tasted the oil and the salt and the crunchiness. Mm -hmm. So Um, like calamari at a bar or something like that? Yeah. So it was okay. It was all right. But then when I saw the white slug crawling around, that was really disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Ants. So ants, I like, there are these large ants that they, kind of roast and also salt and oil. And I ate those in Colombia on a coffee farm that we were visiting. And they were actually perfectly fine. You know, again, not my choice, but it was sort of like leaving little crunchy nut things. Um, uh-huh. And uh, and then obviously um, grasshoppers are really big in Mexico. And they're these little grasshoppers. That you, and again, it's kind of crunchy, salty, oily things. But of all of them, probably the I would, if I had to choose of which three I would eat, I would eat the ants. <laughs> 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 and between it's funny now because I think a lot of people I think of when I was in Thailand it was they would sell bugs sold on the street you know fried up in walks or whatever and I, I always think, thought it was like the sort of thing where tourists would egg each other on oh you do it no you do it and I'm thinking which is harder to eat for someone from America to eat ants or to get organic wine <laughs> and I bet the people who go for the ants if they would just go for the wine too <laughs> Have the two of them together, yeah. Oh, yeah, a nice pairing. <laughs> well, that's what I, at this Colombian coffee farm, they give us sustainable coffee and the ants. Apparently, that was the pairing we had there. And was it, uh, were you, did, did you do it to fit in, were it to try something new, to challenge yourself, to, well, because it was normal there? You know, when people, these are humble homes and people are offering you something and to the extent possible, unless you think you're going to get sick from it, you really want to try to accept their hospitality. So this is in people's homes. It's yeah. not in some tourist area yeah, yeah, yeah. where they're like, try this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. And when you described the slug, I thought it sounded like squid. I mean, people, if it had come from a different yeah, it place, it like might not have been squid, such but, a... But yeah, but I think it's true. I mean, we eat bizarre stuff. Like probably if we gave them snails or squid or oysters or, you know, some people, those things, those are just as bizarre, right? It's just what you grow up eating that you think is weird or not weird, you know, so... I mean, urchins, sea urchins, like scooping out the sea urchin out of a shell, which isn't absolutely delicious. It's like a very bizarre thing for a lot of people, right? So, so okay. Uh, thank you for the diversion, <laughs> <laughs> the culinary diversion. and All very sustainable, by the way. <laughs> ah, I hadn't thought about that perspective 
yet. <laughs> Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. So jobs and and the role of a company, corporate social responsibility is... Can you remind us what were you, it was a project that was on your mind before we spoke last time? Yep. So an area I'm looking at is the role of business in creating jobs. So, you know, typically everybody sort of says, oh, yes, of course, it's a role of business to create jobs. The Trump tax cuts were in theory partially to give corporations money to pay their workers more, to hire more people, right? That at least was the rhetoric. Is the trickle-down economic theory? It was the rhetoric, yeah. It, yeah. But what we have is a situation today where shareholder capitalism, which requires short-term management of stock price to increase stock price, which means reduction of margins, um, or sorry, increase of margins, which means reducing your costs, which generally means reducing your labor costs because labor is the biggest chunk for most companies to reduce, is resulting in a transfer of wealth from workers to shareholders. And shareholders in this country are only 20%. Only 20% of Americans hold shares. So you're talking about 80% who are left out of that calculation. So even though today we only have have a 3.8% unemployment rate, which is historically low, it's misleading because only 62.6% of working age Americans are actually looking for a job or working, right? So that 3.8% does not include people who have stopped looking. So that's one-tenth. I mean, I'm just doing that 3.8% versus roughly 38%. Right, right. So 90% of the people who are are not working don't show up in that statistic. Right, exactly. Not 90%. Yes, right. So 62%, 62.6% are working or looking for jobs, but right, but it's the uh, the it's the percentage between 62.6 and 3.8% that are not looking and maybe they don't want to work and maybe they don't have to work, but probably a lot of them have just given up. Um, so we have that statistic and then you have a number of other very worrisome statistics, right? So while American productivity have, has gone up 30%, For the bottom 70% of workers, their wages have been stagnant, right? So they're not reaping any of the benefits of the productivity improvements. The other thing that we're seeing is that a huge growth in low-wage jobs. So in 2009, 24% of jobs were low-wage jobs, and those are projected to double to 48% by 2020. Mm -hmm. And similarly, when you look at the gig economy, which basically means a job without any paid benefits, right? No vacation, no health care, no nothing. You're on your own. Um, those are currently at 34% of our working population, and that's projected to go to 50% by 2020. So when you look at a combination of low-wage jobs with no benefits, right, mm-hmm. even though they are empl- that group is employed per se, they're employed in a way that makes it very, very difficult to put food on the table, deal with crisis that comes up in terms of health care, to put any money aside for retirement, et cetera. And all of this is happening because companies are outsourcing 
right? So they no longer have to pay all the benefits and stuff. They're outsourcing to other companies. They're offshoring, as we know, or they're automating. And they're doing those things in general because they're under significant pressure to reduce their costs in order to deliver more to the shareholders. So I go back to my thesis that we're seeing this transfer of wealth from workers to shareholders, that's hugely problematic. So this is the research that we're working on, and we'll have you know a lot more to share in, in, in a couple months. So, and I would guess of the 20% that have shares, that own shares, it's probably, they don't all equal, own equally. So I would bet that something like 20% of them own 80% of the shares or something like that. Yeah. So it's a really small, probably a small number there. Now, someone might say, okay, now the jobs are being overseas, Okay, they were helping them. Is that the case? Are we paying higher wages to people who'd get? So I have never actually, I, you know, I think helping to create jobs overseas is a good thing. You know, from my perspective of running the Rainforest Alliance previously, you know, I've seen uh, people being lifted out of poverty through international supply chains where they're able to grow products for people here. And we're in a global economy. We're not going to go, despite what this current administration thinks, we're not going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle and turn this into kind of like isolated little con- national economies. It is a global economy. Mm-hmm. And helping to create jobs elsewhere is, is important. And where we see countries like China, which had abysmal working conditions and abysmal wages over time, they've actually increased that, right? So they've improved the working conditions and the wages in China. Now, unfortunately, then companies sort of went to other places that were cheaper, like Vietnam and Bangladesh. But then again, we start to see that those then improve, right? So as we offshore, definitely we're going to places where wages are low and benefits are low and where conditions are far poorer in many cases, not all cases, in the United States. So yes, that can be problematic. At the same time, it's also, it is creating jobs and income for people, right? But I think I'm just focused right now on the U.S. labor force. I'm not saying that offshoring is never something that you should do. What I'm saying is, how can we believe that America will survive and be a great and competitive economy and one where its people are happy and healthy if 48% are in low wage and 50% are contingent labor and they have no benefits and no safety net, right? Mm-hmm. That That's the problem, right? And no, And the corporate... You know, we, we, somebody needs to take responsibility for that. And we're not seeing any responsibility either by government or by corporations and sort of figuring out how do we tackle that challenge. Yeah, I think most people say, well, that's globalization. Yeah. And let's yeah. watch it happen. And it's not globalization. It's this shareholder capitalism model where everything is about, you know, getting all the money of the shareholders and taking it away from everybody else, right? Except for the, you know, the executives who make their percentage um, off of the stock price management. It's basically managing stock price and not managing all the other elements of the business. And so so I, it sounds like you're at the stage now of framing it for yourself as to what the problem right. is, to what to do about it. Right, exactly. I would guess too early to ask, Have you? are you starting to see light at the end of the tunnel or like an action that you can do yet? Or is it too early to ask? Um, we are starting to develop that, but it's too early to kind of go into it. But I'd be glad once we get this published and out there, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. Well, I hope that this helps spur more thought than you would have otherwise. Yep. All right. So now I want to combine these things in a way that people do with me all the time is with issues like this. Of You're talking hundreds of millions of people. What difference does it make if you have organic wine or not? Is it like some people would say, a lot of people say these little things don't add up. And so what's the point? I know what I, how I feel about that. Does it, is that something that crosses your mind? 
It hasn't actually crossed my mind what does organic wine have to do with the um, with uh, the gig economy? No. <laughs> or the scale. I mean, the scale of things. Why bother with this thing that's... Right. Say you get this bottle of wine and it's organic. Meanwhile, there's like hundreds of millions of people out of work. And you really think that makes a difference? Yeah. So, um, yes, I do have a philosophy about that because... If I didn't think that small changes added up to big changes, I would never get out of bed in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to practice what you preach. You have to take small steps um, and incremental change while at the same time seeing where you can contribute to larger, more transformative change, right? Because you know the larger tra- transformative change may or may not happen. The small incremental stuff you're in charge of, you can make it happen. So you need to do both, I think. Yeah, and— because a lot of people, they just stop at that point. Mm-hmm. Or the, I think a lot of times they'll hear someone do something and they think, well, that's not saving the world. Mm-hmm. All it does is a little thing. And so I'm not going to bother either. And I want to address that because I think that I'm going to share with you, if you don't mind, two things that I think are, are the, all right, see so the geek in me, if I start saying something superlative, I have to like qualify the superlative. I'm going to say it. And if I set it off a little bit, just because I'm on the spot, but two of the most important, two of the biggest causes of global warming right now, or not global warming, uh, global warming, plus all the other environmental issues. Uh, pollution, uh, litter, and stuff like that, deforestation. Anyway, one of them is I want to change, but if I do something and no one else does, then what I do doesn't matter. And so that stops people from changing their behavior. And the other is if something's really small, it doesn't matter. So it's not worth doing. If it's really big, it takes too much work. So it's too hard to do. And those two things alone, I think, are the big things that stop people from changing their behavior. And it's our behavior that's ultimately uh, not, you know, that's, causing the emissions and, and the litter and so forth. And you, those don't stop you. No. And I wanted to give you, give you a chance for that, for how, it, why it doesn't stop you. For, so if the listeners are like, well, yeah, I would do something, blah, 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 to hear, well, and let the listeners see, like you're smiling. You're, right. you're like, yeah, that's not an issue. That's not a problem, is it? Uh, I was just, well, I was, like, I was trying to figure out an analogy for why that small Change is easy to do and you shouldn't get stopped by it. You know, and so I was trying to, trying to think about how to make it more personal. So you do things, you know, you do things that fit with your own ethical frame, right? It might be how you treat your child or if you uh, believe in God, how you act as a, a Christian or a Jew or whatever in your religion. Or if you, well, let me just use those two examples. So you you have a certain value set and frame and you will take unilateral action based on that, not based on what other people around you do, right? Because you have that strong belief system that I need to um, do X for my child, regardless of knowing that this small thing that I do for her is going to result in something, you know, down the line, right? So you, you're thinking about things based on that mindset, right? So for me, it's taking a step backward and saying, my mindset is... I live in this planet. I need to think about what's going to happen for future generations and know me, you know, trying to avoid air conditioning and not really uh, using cars very much is not going to save the planet. But it's that I am taking responsibility for myself and my role in this country and this planet and doing what I can to make a contribution there. And like everybody always says, like, so if everybody does that, then it all adds up and right. Um, so that, I guess that's that's my answer to that first thing is like you just you've got to do what you believe in and you've got to do it for yourself. Right. And then, you know, uh, do, does the big stuff stop you? Like, 
it's too big, so I can't deal with it. You know, there's that Margaret Mead statement, right, which is that never doubt that a small group of people can change the world. It's the only thing that ever has, right? Again, it all change starts somewhere. And oftentimes you get this tipping point because there's a lot of small movements all at the same time because everybody's getting frustrated or concerned all at once, right? So what we're seeing around capitalism, for example, and people really getting concerned about the inequity that this type of capitalism that we have today is causing. You know, we're seeing movements by by the founder of Whole Foods for conscious capitalism and Lynn Rothschild for inclusive capitalism. And there's another group working on regenerative capitalism. And, you know, so clearly all these different small groups are saying, what we have right now is not working. So at a certain point when all these people are saying this isn't working, then you get a step change, right? So you may be in your own little place on this like attack on capitalism, like I am in, you know, at Stern, but or the current form of capitalism, not capitalism in general, like it starts to all add up and then whew, you have a tsunami. Right? And so you're part of that. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're part of it. And yeah, this is so different than so many people. Uh, thank you for this refreshing breath of fresh air uh, that uh, in comparison to a lot of people out there, it's just like there's, they get, you know, I think when people know something that they want, they have a value that they want to act on and they don't. They get cynical or they get they joke about it in a way that's not too serious, but it, I feel like it's eating them up inside. And, and yeah, I don't see you being eaten up inside, <laughs> despite living in the same world with the same most likely outcomes and so forth. But OK, I want to wrap up with. Well, I think, you might, well, I usually ask a couple questions at the end. One is, is there anything I didn't think to ask to bring up that's worth bringing up? And the other is any do you have any message directly to the listeners that that you want to share? I guess in terms of a message, the the message would be go Ask your wine store for uh, sustainable, organic, or biodynamic wine, and also ask for it at your local restaurant or bar. And if they don't have it, ask if they might have it next time you visit. And I think more broadly, you know, have hope, make change, have fun while you're doing it. She says with a smile and a sparkle (laughs) in her eye, it's like that too. (laughs) Yes. And have fun with it. Well, thank you very much, Tansi. And let me leave the door open. If your commitment leads to more things and you want to share something else that's come up, feel free to call me back and, and I'll come back and, and do another episode if you want. Uh, but thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Josh. Tansi described and lived the point of this podcast, acting on your values, not complying with what other people tell you to do, acting on your values, what you care about not imposing on others, and having fun. I didn't hear a whisper of guilt, blame, doom, gloom, helplessness, despair, or what many people associate with acting on the environment. Despite all she's done, a lifetime of acting environmentally, she found something new that she could work on. However modest, it didn't stop her doing from anything else. On the contrary, it led to more, more self-awareness, more fun, more interacting with others, more leading others. I read this episode not as the end of what she's doing, but the beginning. feel inspired to then act go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others value means better and worse and living by your values means living better by your values you may struggle at first but it's the hero's journey from living by others values to living by yours people say that little things add up i won't argue against it but what i find counts is acting Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses 
to the empowering, I can make a difference. And living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.